Hi, Dave Redman here. This is for the record program number 1100. Fascism, 2019 World Tour, Part 10, The Intermarian Continuity, Part 1. This is being recorded on November 19th of the year 2019. Uh, this series of programs is, uh, even by my admittedly pedantic on-air standards, extremely pedantic, and I cannot stress strongly enough that listeners use the written descriptions for these shows, because uh, this is a tall drink of water. Uh, the description for, for the record, 998, nine, or 1,098, 1,099, and 1100 will all be on one description. That should be available presently. Uh, the Intermarium is a concept first developed in the immediate aftermath of World War II and shepherded initially by Josef Pilsudski, the head of the Polish state. It involved uh, primarily an inter- or a central and eastern European alliance uh, initially to counter both German and Russian influence. It also involved pan-Turkist elements. Uh, eventually, as the Axis uh, grew in strength, uh, the intermarium and overlapping Promethean networks were absorbed into Axis intelligence. In turn, they uh, took shape in the Cold War and were absorbed into Western intel, the CIA, the BNB Galen Org, uh, with the ABN, the Anti-Bolshevik Bloc of Nations, uh, being an overlapping element. And ultimately, they coalesced into a number of Cold War uh, institutions. Uh, we, I, I'm going to, after finishing a reading of this paper, or most of it anyway, I'm going to highlight some key aspects of uh, what I call the the Intermarian Continuity. Uh, in this paper, and by the way, the name of the paper is Imagined Geographies of Central and Eastern Europe, the Concept of Intermarium by Marlena Laruel, L-A-R-U-E-L-L-E, -L -E, and Ellen Rivera. This was published in Covert Action Magazine of March 23rd of 2019. And the central element in what I am terming the Enfermarium continuity is expressed in this sentence. The continuity of institutional and individual trajectories from Second World War collaborationists to Cold Warrior anti-communist or Cold War era anti-communist organizations to contemporary conservative U.S. think tanks is significant for the ideological underpinnings of today's intermarium revival. One more time. The continuity of institutional and individual trajectories from Second World War collaborationists to Cold War era anti-communist organizations to contemporary U.S. think tanks is significant for the ideological underpinnings of today's intermarium revival. 
we will touch on the continuity itself. Suffice it to say that after talking about the pre-World War II, World War II, and Cold War era intermarium networks and overlapping Promethean networks, we then talked about how Western think tanks such as the Institute for World Politics, the Center for a New American Security, the Center for European Policy Analysis, and the Atlantic Council uh, basically adopted the intermarium concept and have worked it into their uh, new Cold War era geopolitics. I think embodying that continuity expressed in that sentence I just read again, the continuity of institutional and individual trajectories from Second World War collaborationists to Cold War anti-communist organizations to contemporary conservative U.S. think tanks, is significant for the ideological underpinnings of today's intermarium revival. And that is a guy named Marek Jan Chodakowicz, C-H-O-D-A-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z, of the Institute for World Politics, and as we will see, an advisor to, not surprisingly, Donald Trump. In a long dossier, the Southern Poverty Law Center revealed Chodakowicz to be a frequent commentator on right-wing Polish media, such as the Nawazis, Zaz, the magazine of the Real Politics Union Party, a fringe pro-life, anti-gay marriage, pro-property rights, anti-income tax group, and the far-right Polish website Funda.pl. In July of 2008, Trzaka was among those who accused Barack Obama of having been a Muslim and a communist associate. And he, uh, in one sense, could be said to embody that continuity. More about the continuity later. Uh, jumping back into this paper, the intermarium concept thus seems to have gradually taken root among a group of U.S. policy experts and decision makers who support strengthening NATO's presence in Central and Eastern Europe. NATO's expansion into Eastern Europe has been a fundamental and enduring point of contention in East-West relations with Russian leaders accusing the U.S. of non-compliance with the oral commitment James Baker made to Gorbachev that NATO would not move closer to Russian borders. While neither Georgia nor Ukraine has yet succeeded in convincing NATO to allow their accession, several other initiatives have been deployed in the region. The turning point was the July 2016 NATO summit in Warsaw, at which it was decided to deter Russia by strengthening the alliance's military presence on its eastern flank. By 2017, there were four NATO battalions in the region stationed in Poland, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania on a rotational basis. Each of these battalions was provided by a NATO country, the U.S., Canada, Germany, or Britain. The 2016 summit also inaugurated NATO's ballistic missile defense, putting a base in Romania. The stated purpose was to counter the threats posed by Iran and North Korea, but Russia believes it is also a target. Montenegro was invited to become NATO's 29th member, and discussions on the status of Georgia and Ukraine were held as well, angering Moscow. NATO also launched a strategic communication center in Latvia, and open a training center in Georgia. The intermarium concept fits into this geopolitical and military context quite well, offering the missing ideological and historical legitimation of U.S. policy for Central and 
Eastern Europe. And uh, what the authors call Infirmarium 5, Central Europe Unity Revived Through Regional Economic Cooperation. Something to remember in this context is something we spoke about in the early 1990s with Professor Wilhelm Stauffer, and that was how following at the end of the Cold War the breakup of the Soviet Union and the reunification of Germany, uh, German uh, capital, uh, both finance and industry, began buying up uh, key elements of their counterparts in Eastern Europe, that was to say uh, communication, media, transportation, energy, and strategic heavy industry. So in that context, we read, again, skipping down, simultaneously with its promotion by some American think tanks, the concept of intermarium experienced a revival in Central Europe, especially Poland. There, the memory of Pilsudski's project has never totally disappeared, but simply transformed in line with the new geopolitical realities. The Paris-based emigrate journal Kultura, capital K-U-L-T-U-R-A, the main Polish cultural journal published in emigration, led by Jerzy Gedrowicz, that's G-I-E-D-R-O-I-C, played a key role in reformulating Poland's eastern strategy. Skipping down, Kultura's ULB doctrine was appropriated and given a more virulently anti-Russian tone by the Confederation of Independent Poland, clandestinely launched in 1979 by Leszek Mozulski, M-O-C-Z-U-L-S-K-I, an admirer of Pilsudski, who led some small, far-right movements after the fall of the Berlin Wall. In 1994, the Confederation co-founded the League of Lands of Miedemorze, which organized three conventions in subsequent years. The term was also seized upon by some members of Solidarność or Solidarity, who integrated the Eastern strategy, unquote, into their programmatic declaration at the movement's first conference in September of 1981, skipping down. It was only during the next decade that the notion of the intermarium returned to prominence on the Polish political landscape, advanced by the Conservative Law and Justice Party. The Kaczynski brothers, Lech and Yaroslav, seized upon the term during their victorious presidential campaign in 2005 and used it widely up until Lech's death in the Smolensk plane crash in 2010. They associated it with Poland's increased activism toward both the Visegrad group and the Eastern Partnership, unquote, countries, including Lech's symbolic trip to Tbilisi during the 2008 Russian war with Georgia, alongside the presidents of Estonia, Lithuania, and Ukraine, and the Latvian prime minister intended as a measure of support for Georgian sovereignty. Former Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs and Minister of National Defense Radoslav Sikorsky was likewise a fervent supporter of the so-called Jagiellonian politics. That was uh, a forerunner of the Infirmarium concept. Around this time, the idea of a specific security coalition for the Central and Eastern European countries was championed by the Lithuanian president, Agrivis Brzozowskis, and his prime minister, Kazimir Poskeny. At a 2006 summit in Vilnius devoted to common vision for common neighborhood, Prinskenty declared, quote, I have not lost hope that the Baltic Sea, Baltic Black Sea Alliance 
is not only our historical past from the time of the Grand Duchy of Lithuania. Certain historical motivations have remained until now. However, it was Poland that became the driving force behind more active regional integration, this time more economic than political or military. Under the mentorship of Jarosław Kaczynski, the new Polish president, Andrzej Duda, elected in 2015, relaunched the idea of a Baltic Black Sea Alliance on the eve of his inauguration under the label of Three Seas Initiative, or TSI. Originally, the project grew out of a debate sparked by a report co-published by the Atlantic Council and the EU Energy Group Central Europe Energy Partners, or CEEP, with the goal of promoting big Central European companies' interests in the EU. The report, entitled Completing Europe from the North-South Corridor to Energy, Transportation, and Telecommunications Union was co-edited by General James L. Jones, Jr., former Allied Supreme Commander of NATO, U.S. National Security Advisor, and Chairman of the Atlantic Council, and Pavel Oleknowicz, CEO of the Polish oil and gas giant Grupa Lotos, L-O-P-O-S. It, quote, called for the accelerated construction of a north-south corridor of energy, transportation, and communications links stretching from the Baltic Sea to the Adriatic and Black Seas, unquote, which at the time was still referred to as the Adriatic-Baltic Black Sea Initiative, or TSI, Three Seas Initiative. The report was presented in Brussels in March of 2015, where, according to Frederick Kempe, President and CEO of the Atlantic Council, it generated a huge amount of excitement, unquote. In August of 2016, the Dubrovnik-Croatia meeting led to the informal creation of the Three Seas Initiative. The meeting was attended by Polish President Andrzej Duda, Romanian President Klaus Ioannis, and Bulgarian President Rosen Plenelyev. In addition to this, Hungary, Slovakia, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia dispatched ministers of foreign affairs, whereas Austria, Slovenia, and the Czech Republic were represented on a lower level. The meeting was also attended by representatives of the Atlantic Council think tank. Since that Dubrovnik meeting, both Duda and Croatian President Kolinda Graber Kedarovic have been staunch supporters of a partner bloc of Central and Eastern European countries. U.S. President Donald Trump visited the T. SI's second summit in July of 2017 in Warsaw with Marek Jan Shavakowicz of the IWP helping to draft his speech. That's the guy we spoke about earlier. You're listening to Dave Emery's For the Record. Long article-length descriptions of the For the Record programs are available at spitfirelist.com, also featuring information that wasn't in the original program due to the limitations of time. In the Washington Post article reporting on the meeting, journalist Adam Taylor noted the presence of the infirmarium in the TSI discussions. Quote, Head of the Warsaw Office of the European Council on Foreign Relations, Piotr Buras, B-U-R-A-S, noted that some in the Polish Law and Justice Party even referred to it as infirmarium, unquote, 
which draws upon a Polish foreign policy concept of the 30s of the 20th century, which was openly directed against the German dominance at the time. At the latest PSI summit in Bucharest in September of 2018, Duda insisted on the need for a regional partnership between the 12 countries involved, but also welcomed Germany and the U.S. as closest partners. He declared, quote, we want to be, and in reality we are, political practitioners, the co-creators of an effective and active Central Europe on a global scale. Poland works closely with the Washington-based Center for European Policy Analysis, or CEPA, mentioned earlier to advance this Atlanticist agenda. And then what the authors call intermarium Six, uh, Central Europe as dreamed by the Ukrainian far right. And this dovetails directly with what we have spoken about in connection with the Azov Battalion's Intermarian Support Group. More about that later. Skipping down in the article, the most recent reincarnation of the Intermarium has taken form in Ukraine, especially among the Ukrainian far right which has reappropriated the concept by capitalizing on the solid ideological and personal continuity between actors of the Ukrainian far right in the interwar and Cold War periods and their heirs today. This continuity is exemplified by the wife of longtime ABN leader Yaroslav Stetsko, Yaroslava Stetsko, a prominent figure in the Ukrainian post Second World War emigre community who became directly involved in post-Soviet Ukrainian politics. By the way, her husband was head of Ukraine's World War II collaborationist government and also became a key figure in the ABN, as we have seen and as we will review. Continuing about uh, Slava or Yala, Slava Stelsko. Having joined the OUN at the age of 18, she became an indispensable supporter of the ABN after the war, first in its press bureau and from 1957 as editor of the publication The ABN Correspondence. After her husband's death in 1986, she succeeded him as the ABN's president and became a member of the Presidium of the World Anti-Communist League. In July of 1991, she returned to Ukraine and in the following year, from the Congress of Ukrainian Nationalists, or CUN, a new political party established on the basis of the OUN and presiding over both. Although the CUN never achieved high election results, it cooperated with the Social National Party of Ukraine, or SNPU, which later changed its name to Svoboda, the far-right Ukrainian party that continues to exist. The co-founder of the CUN and formerly Yaroslav Spetsko's private secretary, the U.S.-born Roman Zvarich, Z-V-A-R-Y-C-H, represents a younger generation of the Ukrainian emigre community active during the Cold War and a direct link from the ABN to the Azov Battalion. In an interview, he declared that at age 15, he swore an oath to, quote, achieve Ukrainian statehood or die fighting for it, unquote. Zvorich 
participated in the activities of the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations in the 1980s in the framework of the 40th anniversary commemoration of the Ukrainian Insurgent Army, or UPA, headed by Yaroslav Stetsko. He represented the World Federation of Ukrainian Students, or CESUS. This put him on a list of participants that included, among others, former uh, Senator Barry Goldwater, former DIA Director General Daniel O. Graham, former Strategic Air Command Commander-in-Chief General Bruce K. Holloway, founder of the U.S. Lackle Chapter John K. Singlaub, Lev Dobryansky, and Otto von Habsburg. In an interview published by the BBC Monitoring Kiev Unit in 2005, he stated that he had met his future wife Svetlana in 1983 in the context of a secret mission for Stetsko in Poland where he was recruiting assets, quote, for work in Ukraine. This, by the way, is in 1983 when he allegedly met his wife. Continuing, he served as a member of the Parliamentary Assembly for the Council of Europe from 1998 to 2005, and again from 2008 to 2013. In February 2005, after Viktor Yushchenko's election, Zvorich was appointed Minister of Justice, that's the equivalent of Attorney General. He also held that post under both Timoshenko governments in Ukraine. Zvorich's name appears on WikiLeaks documents in various contexts, including the leaked Stratfor emails and the so-called cable gate of around 250,000 U.S. classified diplomatic cables. According to those emails, Zvorich seemed to have had frequent consultations with the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine between 2006 and 2009. According to Andrei Boletsky, the first commander of the Azov Battalion, a civil paramilitary unit created in the wake of the Euromaidan, Zvorich was head of the headquarters of the Azov Central Committee in 2015 and supported the Azov Battalion with volunteers, unquote, and political advice to his Zvorich Foundation. Zvorich returned to Parliament in March of 2018. The reintroduction of the Intermarian notion in Ukraine is closely connected to the broad rehabilitation of the OUN and UPA, as well as of their main hero, Stefan Bandera. After Ukraine's independence in late 1991, Bandera was progressively reintroduced as a national hero, first in western Ukraine, where the memory of hundreds of thousands of civilians deported to Soviet camps was still vivid, then across the whole country, and in the new history textbooks commissioned after the Orange Revolution. During his presidency, 2005 to 2010, and particularly through the creation of the Institute for National Remembrance, Viktor Yushchenko built the image of Bombera as a simple Ukrainian nationalist fighting for his country's independence, first in the 1930s against Poland, and then in the early 1940s against the Soviet Union. His troubling biographical elements, he twice collaborated with the Nazi regime, adhered to many national socialist principles, called for an ethnically pure Ukrainian nation, and demonstrated a fierce 
anti-Semitism in line with the Nazis' genocidal policy have often been ignored in the new official Ukrainian historiography. In 2009, the government honored Bandera with a postage stamp for his 100th birthday and the following year he was posthumously, posthumously given the official title of Hero of Ukraine. This honor provoked outrage in Eastern Europe and in Eastern Ukraine and Europe, however, and was eventually revoked. I'll note again that Eastern Ukraine, the focal point of the Civil War, is ethnically Russian. They speak Russian, which was initially uh, banned in the wake of the Maidan coup, and uh, that did not sit well with the people who spoke that language. Continuing. The historian Stephanie Burkholz, who wrote the most exhaustive study of the ABN to date, reminds us of Yushchenko's spouse's role in this strategy. It is not unlike the Yushchenko's readiness during his presidency to open up to right-wing tendencies on the Ukrainian exile, oh, beginning again. It is not unlikely that Yushchenko's readiness during his presidency of 2005 to 2010 to open up to right-wing tendencies of the Ukrainian exile leads back to his wife, who had connections to the ABN. Katerina Shumachenko, or Yushchenko, born 1961 in Chicago, was socialized there in the Ukrainian exile youth organization SUM in the spirit of the OUN, via the Lobby Association, Ukrainian Congress Committee of America, or UCCA, she obtained a post as special assistant, unquote, in the U.S. State Department in 1986, and was from 1988 to 1989, employed by the Office of Public Liaison in the White House. In 1991, like other activists, of the Ukrainian exile, she moved back to Ukraine. A photograph from 1983 shows Chumachenko as director of the Ukrainian National Information Service in conversation with the U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Jean Jake Kirkpatrick and Yaroslav Stetsko himself. This rehabilitation trend accelerated after the Euromaidan. In 2015, just after the 70th anniversary of Victory Day, Volodymyr Vyatrovich, Minister of Education and longtime director of the Institute for the Study of the Liberation Movement, an organization founded to promote the heroic narrative of the OUN-UPA, called on the Parliament to vote for a set of four laws that codified the new post-Maidan historiography. Two of them are particularly influential in the ongoing memory war with Russia. One, decrees that OUN and UPA members are to be considered, quote, fighters for Ukrainian independence of the 20th century, unquote, making public denial of this unlawful. The second, condemning communist and national socialist or Nazi totalitarian regimes and prohibiting the propaganda of their symbols, formally criminalizes the entire Soviet regime in Ukraine, ordering the removal of any Soviet-era symbols and making any breach 
punishable by up to 10 years in prison. These decommunization laws adopted without any public debate and which do not seem to have majority support have been extremely controversial. The historian community expressed apprehension about being told how to think, quote, correctly, unquote, and the joint interim opinion from the Council of Europe's Venice Commission and its OSCE-ODIHR found that the second law infringed on people's rights to freedom of expression and association. In 2017, Vyatrovich, already accused of whitewashing Ukrainian history by placing Soviet-era state archives under the jurisdiction of the Institute for National Remembrance, stated that displaying the Waffen-SS Galicia Division symbols did not fall under the 2015 law. The most recent evidence of this trend is the December 28th decision to declare January a na- January 1st a national day of commemoration of Stefan Bondera. By the way, in the written description for this show, there will be a photograph of the summer 2018 celebration in Lvov of the 75th anniversary of the founding of the 14th Waffen-SS Division. Uh, worth noting in that regard, in terms of relationship uh, between Russia and uh, the Intermarium as uh, uh, concretized uh, by contemporary contemporary Ukraine, that one brigade, about roughly 7,000 men at that point in the war, of the 1st Waffen-SS Division, the Leibstandarte Adolf Hitler, burned 200 villages in the former Soviet Union, with the people locked in the buildings. And uh, celebrating an organization like that, which is now happening in Ukraine, is uh, at one level walking the snake, and another level obviously deeply provocative to Russia, and at another level, frankly, altogether evil. You're listening to Dave Emery's For the Record. You can subscribe to the comments posted on the SpitfireList.com website, most of them by a brilliant contributing editor who uses the moniker Terra Fractal, specializing, but by no means exclusively, in economic and financial matters. Continuing. In this context of rehabilitation of interwar heroes, tensions with Russia, and disillusion with Europe over its perceived lack of support against Moscow, the geopolitical concept of intermarium could only prosper. It has found its most active promoters on the far right of the political spectrum among the leadership of the Azov Battalion. This is the case, for instance, of Andrei Belutsky, a Ukrainian member of Parliament, Lieutenant Colonel of the Police, and University instructor from his youth, Bolevsky was active in neo-Nazi circles, and he took the leadership of the neo-Nazi organization Patriot of Ukraine, which became a paramilitary wing of the Social National Assembly, or SNA. In late November 2013, the SNA and Patriot of Ukraine created Pravi Sector, joined by other neo-Nazi groups such as Whitehammer and C-14, the neo-Nazi youth wing of Svoboda. When in April of 2014, Minister of Internal Affairs Arsen 
Avakov authorized the creation of civil paramilitary units to help a weak Ukrainian army fight against secessionism in the Donbass region. The Azov Battalion was officially formed with Bolotsky as its co-founder and first commander. The Kiev government began to provide it with arms and a few months later incorporated it into the National Guard of Ukraine. In 2015, the SNA transformed into the political youth organization Azov Civil Corps and then, in October of 2016, into the National Corps Political Party of which Boletsky is the current leader. In 2016, Boletsky created the Intermarian Support Group, or ISG, introducing the concept to potential comrades in arms from the Baltic Black Sea region. The first day of the founding conference was reserved for lectures and discussions by senior representatives of various sympathetic organizations. The second day to, quote, the leaders of youth branches of political parties and nationalist movements of the Baltic Black Sea area, unquote. The senior delegates were from Belarus. Shumishir Nikiewicz, Belarus security blog, Croatia, Leo Maric, journalist, Estonia, uh, Vaba Ukraina or Free Ukraine, Georgia, Georgi Kuparshvili, head of the military school of Colonel Yevhen Konovalets, Lithuania, Jintari Nakavishtu, International Secretary of the Homeland Union, Lithuanian Christian Democratic Party, Poland, Marusz Patej, PAGEY, Director of the Institute of Professor Roman Rybarski, and Slovakia, uh, the Slovenska Postpolitost, or Slovak Brotherhood, and Sweden. It also included, quote, military attaches of diplomatic missions from the key countries in the region, Poland, Hungary, Romania, and Lithuania. On October 13, 2018, the ISG organized its third Congress. Besides the Ukrainian hosts, a large share of the foreign speakers from Poland, Lithuania, and Croatia have a paramilitary background, among them advisor to the Polish Defense Minister Jerzy Targalski and retired Brigadier General of the Croatian Armed Forces, Bruno Zorica. Among the talking points of Polish military educator Damian Duda were, quote, methods of the preparation of a military reserve in youth organizations, unquote, and the, quote, importance of paramilitary structures within the framework of the defense complex of a modern state. Another prominent face of the Ukrainian neo-Nazi scene who appears in both the Azov and ISG context has been Olena Semyonaka, S-E-M-E-N-Y-A-K-A. In the 2015 interview with Oleg Olenorzhenko, then the deputy commander of the Azov Regiment, published on the Ukrainian Traditionalist Club website, Semyonaka is presented as, quote, coordinator of the Department of International Relations of the Azov Regiment, Azov Reconquista. Little is known about the Reconquista movement, even merged around sometime around 2015 in Ukraine, and now has established groups in several European countries, such as France, Switzerland, 
and Finland. When representatives of European Reconquista groups met in the framework of the first Pan-Europa Conference in Kiev in April of 2017, a conference report described the Reconquista project as follows, quote, The Reconquista movement aiming at building the Pan-European Confederation of Sovereign European Nations, or simply Pan-Europa, remains on the positions of the classic third way, the so-called third political theory, in the vein of Julius Evola, Ernst Jünger, Pierre-Drieu de la Rochelle, Oswald Mosley, and Dominique Wemmer. The Ukrainian Reconquista Network had a website active between 2015 and 2017, available in nine languages, and still has a functioning YouTube channel. The second Pan-Europa Conference was organized in Kiev on October 15th of 2018. Under the Reconquista banner, it hosted alongside Seminaka speakers from Western European far-right organizations, among them Bjorn Christian Rodal from the Alliance for Norway, Alberto Palladino, foreign correspondent for Casa Pound Italia, Italy, Julian Bender, West Germany area leader of Der Three Weg, or the Third Way Germany, Mike Schmidt, M-A-I-K Schmidt, leader of the Brandenburg branch of the NPD's JN of Germany, Yuri Noyevi, the All-Ukrainian Svoboda Association Ukraine, Anton Badaida from the Kapaska Sit Ukraine, Greg Johnson, representative of the U.S. Alt-Right, editor-in-chief of Countercurrents, and Marcus Folin, F-O-L-L-I-N, Swedish pan-European nationalist, identitarian, Sweden. All the groups present, as well as the authors mentioned above, and the notion of third way set the tone. They belong to the new identitarian movements attempting to rehabilitate fascist theories under a narrative adapted to our times of a white Europe fighting against both immigrants and cosmopolitan elites. Semyonaka herself appears well integrated into neo-Nazi countercultural circles. Since its inception in 2016, she has spoken at every Pact of Steel conference in Kiev, an event that takes place in the framework of the neo-Nazi Black Metal Asgardrai Festival. In 2016, her talk was on the topic of, quote, aristocracy of the spirit and the great European Reconquista, while in 2017 it was titled Wotan Pan Dionysius at the Gates of the Grand European Solstice, a neo-pagan rhetoric classic for neo-Nazi countercultural groups. Formerly a follower of the Russian far-right neo-Eurasianist ideologue Alexander Dugin, who proposes a federation from Lisbon to Vladivostok, Semyonaka turned into a Dugin critic with the Maidan events, but continues to embrace the same radical neo-paganism in which Dugan is rooted. Semyonaka has been promoting this new intermarrying project on Facebook, as well as through extensive travels in Europe to meet with various local far-right proponents. 
In February of 2018, she appeared in Tallinn at the annual Ethno-Future Conference organized by Simimi Aratas, the youth wing of the Estonian Nationalist Party Blue Awakening, where she spoke on the, quote, Intermarium as a Laboratory of European Archaeofuturism, unquote, and participated in the first flight march on the occasion of the centenary of Estonia's independence, unquote. In May of 2018, she attended the European Congress of the Young Nationalists, or Jung Nationalisten, the youth wing of the German National Democratic Party, or NPD, in Riesa, Germany, giving a lecture entitled Beyond the Wall of Time. Ernst Jünger and Martin Heidegger on the new metaphysics, unquote. By the way, NPD has nothing to do with uh, democracy. It is the top, quote, neo, unquote, Nazi party in Germany. Of Ole Olema Semenaka, in May of 2018, she attended the European Congress of the Young Nationalists, the youth wing of the, national, of the German National Democratic Party, or NPD, in Riesa, Germany, giving a lecture entitled Beyond the Wall of Time, Ernst Jünger and Martin Heidegger and the New Metaphysics. Here, too, two major philosophical references of today's radical right. On June 8th of 2018, she appeared at the Identitarian Club House Kultur in Halle, Germany, which held a, quote, Ukrainian evening where she spoke on the topic of identity, geopolitics, perspectives, and, according to information from the Identitarians, introduced the concept of infirmarium to the audience one more time. On June 8th of 2018, Semenaka appeared at the Identitarian Clubhouse Kontrakultur in Halle, Germany, where, which held a Ukrainian evening where she spoke on the topic of identity, geopolitics, and perspectives, and, according to information from the Identitarians, introduced the concept of intermarium to the audience. And then, uh, in lieu of conclusion, intermarium's four conceptual dimensions, I'm just going to highlight two aspects of this. The material dimension of the concept manifests itself to some personal and institutional affiliations. A geopolitical concept cannot be advanced without some agency. In the intermarium case, its agents have been groups and figures for whom the support of the U.S. to the region was and is the only guarantee of security against Russia and a Western Europe accused of lacking solidarity toward its central and Eastern European neighbors. Some shared genealogies can be found between those who fought against early communism in the interwar and war periods, were involved in the anti-communist structures during the Cold War, and were rehabilitated directly or indirectly in today's politics against Putin's Russia. The socio-political dimension of the concept positions it inside the classic, conservative, and or far-right repertoires, depending of countries and period of history with almost no competition for meaning coming from more mainstream or leftist groups. One more time. The socio-political dimension of the concept positions it inside the classic conservative and or far-right repertoires dependent 
of countries and period of history, with almost no competition from meaning coming from more mainstream or from leftist groups. Today's revival should therefore be understood not only as a geopolitical construction against Russia, but as part of a wider conceptual arsenal inspired by conservative and or far-right ideas in tune with the current illiberal atmosphere. While many Western European far-right groups are pro-Russian, Central and Eastern European far-right tends to be more anti-Russian, a position reactivated by the 2014 Ukrainian crisis. The Polish Law and Justice Party personifies this illiberal stance, anti-Russian and pro-U.S., but maybe even more molded by an anti-liberal posture and a vivid critique of the European construction. The current tensions between the Visegrad countries and the European Union institutions around the refugee crisis, but also Brussels' heavy criticisms of Hungary's and Poland's laws on media and justice in particular, integrate the intermarium concept into the ideological toolkit asserting the legitimacy of Central and Eastern Europe's right to an identity dissociated from Western Europe and claiming representing the real, unquote, Europe. Krzysztof Szyzerski, chief of the Polish president's cabinet and an advisor for international affairs, for instance, described the intermarium as a Polish answer to the current crisis facing the EU in his recent book, The European Utopia, Integration Crisis, and Polish Initiative of Remedy. You're listening to Dave Emery's For the Record. All of Dave Emery's 36 years of work is available for download on the SpitfireList.com website. The site includes many articles not included in the programs, as well as a small library of old anti-fascist books. All of the material on the website is available for free. Sister station WFMU is podcasting the For the Record programs. To subscribe to the podcast, use the link at the top of the description for this program or on the front page. And there is a lot to think of, or a lot to contemplate in this, in particular uh, Western Europe, even though the EU is, from an economic standpoint, a vehicle for German economic imperialism in Europe, it's social policies on uh, gay rights, gay marriage, uh, immigration, etc., and freedom of expression and thought uh, are in conflict with many of these elements in Ukraine and in Central and Eastern Europe. This is a very pedantic paper, uh, even uh, by my very pedantic standards, and is not easygoing. I refer uh, listeners to the written description for this show for uh, a key, uh, for an understanding of some of the uh, key concepts. I'm going to continue with uh, this concept in our next program with the uh, continuity of the intermarium. Uh, it is not an easy thing to grasp, so I'm going to uh, pick some key excerpts uh, from this uh, long paper and some key aspects of it and attempt to stitch together uh, an overview 
of what I believe is fundamental here. And we'll go into the uh, deep politics of this, going back to the World War II and the immediate Cold War periods and talk about the implications for the Earth Island, for the ongoing impeachment process, uh, that, however, in our next program and or two. Now, again, from this paper, uh, the title, Imagined Geographies of Central and Eastern Europe, the Concept of Intermarium by Marlena Laroel and Ellen Rivera from Covert Action Magazine of March 23rd of this year, this year being, of course, 2019. Again, uh, a key sentence here. The continuity of institutional and individual trajectories from Second World War collaborationists to Cold War era anti-communist organizations to contemporary conservative U.S. think tanks is significant for the ideological underpinnings of today's intermarium revival. Now note the continuity in this of Ukrainian fascists, even before uh, the term fascism had been minted. Exemplifying this, for example, is the presence of the OUN in the Atlantic Council. Uh, one of the key financial aspects of that is uh, one of the key backers of Atlantic Council, which figures throughout the discussion of the intermarium, both in terms of the uh, military aspects of it, the NATO aspects of it, and also the economic aspects of it, uh, and in terms of economic cooperation between Central European countries. The Atlantic Council is front and center. Excerpting now the, from the paper. In 1967, the World Congress of Free Ukrainians was founded in New York, by supporters of Andre Melnik, the head of the OUNM, which, like the OUNB, was alive with Nazi Germany. It was renamed the Ukrainian World Congress in 1993. In 2003, the Ukrainian World Congress was recognized by the UN Economic and Social Council as an NGO with special consultative status. It now appears as a sponsor of the Atlantic Council, the continuity of institutional and individual trajectories from Second World War collaborationists to Cold War-era anti-communist organizations to contemporary conservative U.S. think tanks is significant for the ideological underpinnings of today's intermarium revival. That says it all about tracing the central involvement of Ukrainian fascists and reactionaries in the intermarium uh, manifestations from the immediate post-World War I period right up through the present. According to the British scholar and journalist Stephen Dorrell, D-O-R-R-I-L, the Promethean League, which overlaps intermarium, served as an anti-communist umbrella organization for anti-Soviet exiles displaced after the Ukrainian government of Simon Petliura gave up the fight against the Soviets in 1922. As Dorl affirms, the real leadership and latent power within the Promethean League emanated from the Petliura-dominated Ukrainian Democratic Republic in exile and its Polish sponsors. The Poles benefited directly from this arrangement as Promethean military assets were absorbed into the Polish army with Ukrainian, Georgian, and Armenian contract officers 
not uncommon in the ranks. The alliance between Pilsudski and Petliura became very unpopular among many Western Ukrainians as it resulted in Polish domination of their lands. This opposition joined the insurgent Ukrainian military organization UVO, founded in 1920, which later transformed into the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, or OUN, and then uh, the absorption of the uh, Intermarium and Promethean networks into fascist intelligence in World War II. Uh, William Gowan is a former U.S. military intelligence officer, uh, deeply involved with uh, Vatican politics. His father was Roosevelt's uh, emissary to the Vatican, a major source for information for uh, John Loftus and Mark Ahrens in their books The Secret War Against the Jews and Unholy Trinity of the absorption of Intermarium and the overlapping Promethean League into Axis Intelligence Based on Gowan's reports, such authors as Christopher Simpson, Stephen Dole, Mark Ahrens, and John Loftus have suggested that the networks of the Promethean League and the Intermarium were utilized by German intelligence. Then they jumped to Western intel. American intelligence began to take notice of the Intermarium network in August of 1946 in the framework of Operation Circle, a counterintelligence core or CIC project, the original goal of which was to determine how networks inside the Vatican had spirited away so many Moscow war criminals and collaborators, mostly to South America. Among the group of CIC officers involved in the operation was Levy's source William Gowan, then a young officer based in Rome. Gowan suspected the Intermarian Network to be behind Nazi war criminals and collaborators' extensive escape routes from Europe. According to Ahrens and Loftus, although he had initially been thoroughly opposed to this course of action, by early 1947, Gowan was strongly advocating that American intelligence should take over Intermarium. Before long... The CIC officer was no longer hunting for Nazis, but recruiting them. And more about this, this will be our last element. We will continue and recap this continuity of the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations. Uh, originally, by the way, the Committee of Subjugated Nations formed in 1943 by Adolf Hitler. Again, from this essay, a vast number of anti-communist organizations were formed in the immediate post-war period and supported by the U.S. They constitute one of the main components of the Intermarium genealogical tree in the sense that they survived the memory of Pilsudski's attempts to unify Central and Eastern Europe against Soviet Russia and gave them new life, but blended this memory with far-right poems inspired by collaboration with Nazi Germany. The most important of the European anti-communist organizations was the Anti-Bolshevik Bloc of Nations, or ABN. Because fascist movements were, in the 1930s, the first to organize themselves against the Soviet Union, the ABN recruited massively among their ranks and served as an umbrella for many former collaborationist paramilitary organizations in exile, amongst them the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, 
the Bandera OUNB, the Croatian Ustasi, the Romanian Iron Guard, and the Slovakian Linka Guard. It thus contributed to guaranteeing the survival of their legacies at least until the end of the Cold War. According to the Liberal Institute for Policy Studies think tank created by two former aides, the Kennedy advisors, the ABM was, quote, the largest and most important umbrella for former Nazi collaborators in the world. We will recap and continue this uh, excerpting uh, to illustrate continuity of the infirmarium in our next program. However, that concludes this show. This concludes for the record program number 1100, Fascism. 2019 World Tour Part 10, The Intermarium Continuity Part 1. This is being recorded November 19th of the year 2019. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.